0: Hello everyone, I'm Bill Roggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Long War Journal. This is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers all things in what used to be known as the global war on terror, but we now call the Long War. We are gonna. We got a bunch of issues to discuss Uh, today. It's Wednesday, but uh, my Monday co-host Joe Trusman is joining me today. Joe is a research analyst and editor at FDD's Long War Journal, and Joe follows Israel, the Gaza, the West Bank, Lebanon, Hezbollah, Iran, all of these groups real closely. And uh, so we're gonna pick Joe's brain today and uh, talk about. Well, we got talks of a ceasefire. Israeli casualties in Gaza, an IDF strike in Lebanon, U.S. considering withdrawing uh, forces from Syria, and of course, the unending Houthi drama, the strikes, counterstrikes, and the Houthis basically dictating the security situation in the Red Sea. Joe, um, great to have you back on Generation Jihad. Hey, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great. Well, let's get into it. We have a lot to talk about today. Um So let's just jump right into this. Um, uh, This seems to be an ongoing story, Um, but it seems to have taken a a life of its own in the past couple of weeks. The Biden administration led by secretary of state, Anthony Blinken is pressuring Israel to reduce attacks in Gaza and come to some sort of ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire. Um, And, this is, in my estimation, a major mistake. So we have here's the deals we have on the table um, right now. Hamas has put a deal on the table to it says it'll free all of the Israeli and foreign hostages for a permanent end to the fighting. And then apparently a, a, the Israelis issued a some type of counter deal where they say they'll they'll do a two month ceasefire in exchange for a release of all of the hostages. Um, so a lot of pressure, you know, Joe and I have, from day one, our concern has been time. That is the major enemy of the Israelis because of external pressures from the U.S., from Europe, uh, from the United Nations for Israel to cease operations. Uh, and this, of course, would give Gaza or give Hamas and Gaza a, a new life. So, I mean, obviously the Hamas deal, that would be perfect for the, uh, for Hamas, for Iran, because it would be an end to the fighting, and it would ensure the survival of Hamas in, in Gaza. And that would be, in my book, a defeat for Israel. It cannot allow an organization, terror organization that carried out the October 7th attacks to, to survive this. That would just be suicide for the Israeli state. And I'm not sure the Israeli people would accept that as well um the israeli deal a two month ceasefire joe why what are your thoughts on a two month ceasefire for the release of hostages i'll share mine after yours
1: yeah i mean you know first of all we got to have to think back what are the or what are the goals of the israeli government what 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 did they set forth excuse me from the beginning of this war and one of those goals is to get get the hostages right to get the either the hostages released by force right uh, rescuing them or Hamas releasing them so if if there's a ceasefire and Hamas and Hamas releases these, these hostages these captives then I mean I mean the Israelis will achieve one of their goals right but at the same time uh, I don't think that they'll be able to destroy or dismantle Hamas and Gaza if this ceasefire goes through okay that's the problem here uh just simply because they've uh they're they'll have the hostages right and uh there'll be this prolonged ceasefire with it and then of course this what's going to happen which has been happening the last couple of months is that there was going to be that pressure that international pressure hey you know by allies uh saying hey you got the hostages back you've really hurt hamas you've dismantled much of their infrastructure uh you know just stop now you know and um i anticipate that's going to happen and the problem here is that then they'll still have hamas in gaza right uh and in the west bank <laughs> that's another story of course but uh so this is a this is a problem uh, for the israelis right uh yes they need to get the hostages uh especially Um, the ones that uh, for the the ones that they've been fighting to get for the last two for no more than three months now so uh, but at the same time it really puts them in a bind where uh, things the the war will stall and uh, they won't be able to complete uh, the other objectives of 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 dismantling Hamas in Gaza right so uh, I think this this is a big problem for the Israelis so I I don't know what's going to happen to be quite honest with you but um, of course we want the hostages. Everybody wants the hostages to go home. Don't get me wrong here. But it's just it comes with these caveats. And on top of that, which is very important, is that Hamas isn't just gonna release the hostages and say, Oh, that's it, end of the day, you know, no more war. Um, they're gonna want something in return, not only for the Israelis to at least stop for whatever, two months, uh, but they're gonna want Palestinian prisoners,
0: right? Probably uh, thousands, right, John. We're, we're, oh. Well, that's
1: they want all of them, really. But I don't think obviously that's not going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. However, the
0: last hostage deal was what? A hundred Israeli hostages for 300.
1: Yeah. I prisoners. Was, yeah.
0: yeah. I, these type of de- the Israelis need to, you know, it should be inverted. And the well, that's a whole nother <laughs> discussion there. But yeah, you know, on this on this point, I am shocked that the Israelis made this proposal. Um, I hope this was some type of fringe of, you know, government officials putting this out there versus the actual ruling unity government, because I do not see how the Israelis can reinitiate operations. They're going to lose the initiative. Um, They're actually doing quite well, um, and they're entering into some tough terrain right now. The last thing the Israelis need to do is give Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and other groups time to regroup time to reestablish defenses to treat their wounded and get them back on the battlefield to you know take the lessons learned from this round of fighting and then use them for if let's say the israelis could restart operations but the israelis have some other problems too the call up how long can they keep those troops mobilized will they demobilize troops what happens with you know hezbollah to the north there's a whole range of options the israelis really need to see this through the end however long that takes and i guess maybe i'm a heartless callous monster but the hostages to the israelis have to be secondary to victory over hamas to defeating hamas that the because the reality is is if hamas survives this the israelis can encounter another october 7th or worse that that will be down the road and you know, I, I hate to say I'm not say, sitting here saying the Israelis need to write off the hostages. By no means they should be doing whatever they can to get them freed, but not at the expense of losing this war. That would be a massive mistake for the Israelis.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 a it's a almost like a bad precedent where um, this can just continue on down the road, right? More like attacks and uh, and and. Uh, kidnapping civilians and, and soldiers right because obviously this is not the first time this has happened where civilians or rather soldiers specifically soldiers IDF soldiers uh have been kidnapped and uh for ransom right by uh terrorist organizations uh so uh specifically um uh, Israeli uh, soldiers uh regarding you know Palestinian terrorist groups and, and Hezbollah for example so um so yeah that's a problem uh, so I, I I don't you're kind of torn here right? Because, you know, one side of you is like, of course, you want the civilians to come back home. But at the same time, we're just going to, I think this is going to allow Hamas some breathing room, right? And then, you know, possibly, you know, stall this war. I mean, I can see Israelis saying, okay, we're going to, and they've kind of said this already, but we'll we'll limit their operations uh, and we'll just conduct precision strikes, right, Uh, against uh, Hamas leaders, but that'll take so that can take a long time, but um, it won't be what we're seeing now. So, uh, I can see them doing that. Uh, so they and Joe, that's them. that
0: that's a mistake too, leaving all those tunnels, leaving all that infrastructure. No, no,
1: they won't they, go anywhere. they
0: can't destroy yeah. these tunnels via the air, they can't even find them. No. They're running across tunnels they didn't know existed. This is but, why you know the, the Israelis are in dangerous ground right now if they listen to the Biden administration advice and by the way i wouldn't be willing to listen to an administration that gave us afghanistan that's given us what we're now witnessing in ukraine i mean that's probably the last corner where i would be taking advice the israelis probably understand this problem better than anyone and need to need to find their own way through this um and not be pressured by the biden administration by secretary blinken because they're getting bad advice from the u.s side and uh this can lead to massive problems for the Israeli state going forward if they do decide to initiate a ceasefire and allow Hamas to survive.
1: Right. And I think that's uh, the issue. Sh- and the problem is when that ceasefire happens, the rest, and we'll talk about this after, the rest of the region will quiet down. So it'll make it look like it's Israel that's causing the problems, right? But it's not Israel; it's Iranians. <laughs> but that's what it's going to look like to a lot of people. So, um, so yeah. But we can talk about that after. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Bill.
0: Yeah. So let's move on. There is um, a, a mass casualty event from the Israeli military. Uh, Joe, tell give us the details on this. What happened? Um, what have we learned about this? This is probably, I think, this was the largest mass casualty event from the Israel Defense Forces in, in the history. Is that correct?
1: Um I'm not sure if in, in its history there was um there was a I I'm not sure about the history because I know there were some pretty big ones uh in Lebanon actually so uh that were more so but for sure in the ground war uh in this year's uh, rather the the Gaza this Gaza war uh we can say is the the, the biggest casualty but uh, uh amount of casualties suffered by the IDF but and I'll just say there's there's going to the IDF's doing an investigation but from what has been reported, what I understand is that there were Israeli troops in a building or two buildings that were just adjacent to each other. They were uh, setting it up for demolition to destroy it, essentially. And uh, uh, Hamas or Hamas operatives or uh, members of Hamas fired an RPG at the building, set off the explosives, brought essentially they brought down two buildings with the troops inside uh, and uh, and. Uh, as well as there was an attack on a tank that was uh, nearby the building that was destroyed so there were two events there uh which caused this mass casualty event and uh so yeah definitely uh, a difficult day uh for the israelis and uh it just shows you you know that one little event or rather that one thing or one event or two events uh can really uh have a huge impact in a war right so that's the initial uh reports right it's only been a couple days uh so i'm I'm sure we'll learn a little bit more further down the road but yeah that's what happened in gaza and uh yeah again it was was a pretty bad day for the for the israelis
0: yeah 21 killed in that single attack is that correct
1: yeah i believe so yeah
0: that's 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 a tough day um for the israelis and look the you know the just highlights what a dangerous place gaza is um so we have a is the israel air force launched an attack in lebanon um joe tell us about this what what exactly happened we've seen the israelis going after targets in both syria and lebanon what's um what's stuck out to you with this strike
1: yeah so yeah obviously uh, the fighting continues in 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 the north in, in northern israel southern lebanon every day okay uh, Israelis are striking uh, with artillery, with uh, jets, and uh, Hezbollah has been uh, firing guided missiles, rockets, mortars at uh, Israeli military installations in the north and uh, Israeli uh, communities in the north as well. However, this one was a little different. So, yesterday, Israelis, uh, the IDF published a statement saying that they had bombed or attacked a an area in lebanon i can't remember the name off the top of my head uh but that it was an uh iranian site okay uh that was operated or it was uh it was that was being used by okay so it was iranian but being used by hezbollah so which was pretty interesting uh because you don't see that much uh as far as the idf uh, acknowledging these type of attacks the last one that i remember uh was in 2023 where the israelis attacked a, uh, an airport called an airport in southern lebanon that is about 20 kilometers from the israeli uh from the northern border uh and that was uh, built by iran and used by hezbollah and it was being used to uh as a as a guess you call it a staging ground or uh, uh a way to attack uh for, be used for a future attack against israel so it may have been a drone base i don't recall so this has happened before but again it's rare so something notable right Iranians in Lebanon right so uh building military infrastructure in Lebanon so shouldn't be surprised but we don't hear about it a lot so thought it was notable to to mention. Yeah
0: I'm going to read the text from that you just had just sent that to me it says it, it hit they hit a military asset used by the Hezbollah terrorist organization and operated by Iranian forces so the, the Iranians are actually operating this base for and allowing Hezbollah to use it that's I find that to be very interesting because typically what the Iranians do um in my experience is run advisors right they'll send a couple of you know a couple of officers from the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps or Cuds Force um to advise right they'll they'll give them weapons and training and money and whatnot. But it's very rare that we'll hear. And also, given the location, they said that this was south of the Latani River. That's a river in southern Lebanon that's anywhere from about 15 to 25 miles from the Israeli border. Hezbollah, based on the United Nations Security uh, Council Resolution 1701, wouldn't be operating from there in this region, this area below the Latani. But does so anyway. And the Iranians are so bold that not only are they sending advisors, they're running a base there. So yes Joe that was very good find by you very interesting um piece of information the, it just shows how bold the iranians have, have become in promoting this strategy and and ex the execution of the strategy of its axis of resistance which of course is Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah and the the Houthis and the Iraqi and Syrian militias um and Bahraini militias and and other groups so this is this just strikes like this like you know makes you wonder was were they always here or is this something new but one thing this war is doing is exposing iran's complicity um throughout the the region right couldn't have said any better well, yeah that's uh i think but this is just
1: um like a and we'll talk about this more after but like um what's it like just a small like a glimpse of what yes how involved they are uh, this is nothing really what they can do so what what we've been seeing over the last three months everything with the in the red sea and uh in syria and iraq and uh, you know and in lebanon uh no it could get so much worse but at least people now understand you know where the iranians are exactly and some of their capabilities
0: and it could just get like i said a lot worse yeah, the one thing I've really found interesting covering wars over, particularly against groups, jihadist organizations, and countries that operate like Iran does, like Pakistan does, um, is that the fighting really exposes how these groups operate. Like one of the things that's really difficult for me with Afghanistan now is it's quiet, and I know things are happening. It's not exposed because there's no challenge to it. So you start looking into a, a dark box. But one thing that the is you know these the fighting in in Lebanon and northern Israel and in Gaza and in, in the Red Sea and in Iraq and Syria once once organ- countries are forced once the U.S. is forced to launch counterstrikes, even as paltry as they've been. You start to you start to be able to shine a little bit of light into that dark box and you start to see some of the infrastructure that is being put in place by Iran and its and its proxies. So, yeah, it's uh, the, these reports. They It's a glimpse. Um, it's a glimpse into the dark box, but it's better than not being able to see at all. So you had mentioned Syria, Joe. Um, there's a report in foreign policy. That the us is now considering withdrawing its forces from syria the forces there working with um herds from the syrian democratic forces i'm not going to get into that my opposition to the us working with the pkk which is a terrorist organization um so part of me is like good it's time to be done with this but um so this is because of the militia attacks against u.s troops um now the Biden administration hasn't made any decision. There are just discussions about this. I've heard rumblings about this over the last month from various individuals, but this this news article is the first um uh mention of this actually, you know, out there in out out in the press, right? So I find I find that interesting. Um it's possible that this is a trial balloon to see how people will react. Um so you know, look, one of the problems with these militias, there's been 150 militia attacks. These are the Iranian-backed militias in both Iraq and Syria against U.S. bases in both countries since um, October 7th, since the Hamas launched its war on Israel. The U.S. is really in a bind. And in, in Syria, you know, it doesn't have a lot of um, forces to protect it. And in Iraq, now, the, the nice thing about Syria for the U.S. is there's no one that can tell the, the U.S. to leave. That would, um, unlike Iraq, where the U.S. is inside of Iraq, its forces about 2,500 are in the country at the behest of the Iraqi government. And the U.S. has launched uh, some strikes against terror organizations just yesterday against Hezbollah brigades. It hit three sites, a headquarters and weapon storage locations in response to Hezbollah brigades and other groups launching attacks against U.S. forces. Last weekend, we had a ballistic missile attack against U.S. troops. And at Al Assad air base that's in Western Iraq outside of Ramadi. I've been there. It's a very remote area. Let's face it. The militias don't make ballistic missiles and they're not getting them from the Iraqi government. They're getting these from the Iranians. We're watching this Iranian strategy and the Iranian strategy against U.S. forces is twofold. Um, it's to drive the U.S. out of Iraq and Syria, where Iran wants to, um, you know, wants to Expand its influence. I mean, I'd argue Iraq is essentially a satrapy of the Iran, or of the Iranians at this point in time. And the Iraqi government is starting to ask the U.S. to leave, and I think they may be serious this time. Um, but the the Iranians are also trying to tie, you know, put pressure on the U.S. to get Israel to stop military operations against Hamas. So it's a two fold strategy. If one of these two things happens, the Iranians win. So, um, you know, Joe, any thoughts on what we're seeing now, and with the with the militia attacks, they just seem to be every time every week. I look; it's it was ninety three, two or three weeks ago. Then it went up to one hundred and ten, then it was one hundred and thirty. Now we're at one hundred and fifty. These these attacks are just they're endless. There are so many, and we're not even getting rep- good reporting on them. We just know they're happening.
1: Yeah, and uh, exactly. I think most of the reporting that I get is from actual the actual militias themselves, <laughs> um, which is. Uh, But uh, it's better than nothing. But um, regardless, uh, no, you said it correctly um, uh, about Iran's strategy here. But, you know, they're trying to drive the US out of the region, right? That's the whole point. And out of Iraq, uh, out of Syria. That's what they want to do. So we have to understand, excuse me, um, that Iran, what they do, and what I'm. I'm not going to lie; they're good at they're good at this. That they no, we should
0: never apologize for recognizing, you know, that our enemy actually has a good strategy and is right. executing you, it well. Exactly, that's just the reality of it. Um, I wish they were losing, but sadly, you know, they're not. They're they're doing well. This is a very well crafted. They're looking long term, and they understand the region and they understand our will better than we do
1: right i mean look you, you saw i'll give you an example like in yemen 2014 uh you can say even recently in the west bank uh and then ob- obviously other places iraq and syria um but they iran what they do is when they see an opportunity uh to uh exert their influence in a region all right uh where there's weak governance weak governance uh and, and especially if these areas are are or um, or that will be strategically uh, viable for them, right? So, an important area. Rather, um, they they've shown that they they'll, they'll use their influence, or that they'll 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 recognize this uh, weakness, right, and exert their influence there by supplying or creating militias. Uh, the West Bank is a perfect example of something recent in the last few years where they recognized that the Palestinian Authority is weak uh, and had lost a lot of its influence. So what they did was that since they already had small groups there, small uh, Palestinian armed groups uh, that were operating there, what they started doing is they started, um, they started funding them even more and supplying weapons to them, smuggling weapons to them. And what happened was this uh, surge of violence in the West Bank Which undermined the Palestinian Authority incredibly. So, um, and this is all because of Iran. And, uh, but they do this in the region. That's what they've been doing for years. So, this is what they're good at. They recognize when there's an opportunity. And this war brought them an opportunity to push the united states out try to push the united states even further out of the region right out of iraq and syria by saying that uh since the americans uh support israel they're going to continue they're going to attack them uh these sites in syria these uh, american sites in syria and iraq so uh so that's what they're doing and one can say it's working right uh, i mean if you look at that politico uh report uh that that they're just pushing the you know pushing the americans further further so it may be working so i think it's important to note that that you know, there's a there's a grand strategy here, right? And uh, seems like it's working for them. So why would they stop?
0: Yeah, the Iranians have the advantage of having continuity, right? It's not a democracy, so it doesn't, um, you know, every two years, Congress doesn't flip, and every four years, there's a new president, or possibly, or the same one maybe be reelected. You know, they've they have a you know it's a dictatorship. They have a regime there that can craft a strategy and execute it over a long time. And I think the time and the commitment, you know, look, the Iranians don't have the resources. It's just amazing to me that the U S defense budget is more than the rest of the world combined. And yet we can't figure out how to tackle the Houthis, which we'll get to next. Um, This is just utterly astounding, or we can't figure out how to deal with iran in look iraq is difficult because of the fact that we have to deal with the iraqi government but if the u.s has committed to syria it could commit to syria it could put troops in syria but i don't think this administration wants to send more forces into syria at this point in time um so therefore it's just going to do this to basically do nothing launch an occasional strike against these militias in the hopes that it restores deterrence while at the same time we tell them we don't want to escalate so the the militias just say iran just say great we'll escalate and that's this been this cycle that we've been in that is now forcing the u.s administration the biden administration to possibly leave syria and that uh you know that will be a major victory for iran that that'll be a one of you know if it, iran could walk away from all of this with the u.s leaving syria and the iraqi government initiating the withdrawal of u.s forces that will that alone would Make all of this work that for the Iranians. They can really spread their influence throughout the Middle East.
1: Oh no, absolutely. Um, again, like you're saying, they're just playing the long game, right? So, and they're just taking advantage of opportunities that come up. That's it. And yeah. uh, they're they're winning so far. So in, in the administration, yeah, they just don't want to. They don't want to commit the forces needed to really deter i people use that word a lot i know deterrence but um these strikes like in iraq yesterday it did kill the it killed a, a member of uh the husband of the brigades but these guys they'll gladly suck if if, yeah. if it's called fighting america they'll s- sacrifice hundreds one guy is nothing
0: i mean it, let's be honest here so um it's not gonna- they sacrificed thousands while the u.s was in iraq up until 2011 and didn't blink an eye Exactly. There you go. So this is just—I don't know—it's—it's—it's uh, uh, it's, it's
1: not going to do much. And is it going to deter them? No, they're going to continue firing rockets at at uh, American bases or American troops in Iraq and Syria. So, uh, there's got to be a different strategy here. But uh, I mean, they're just being—I feel like it's just being held back. Uh, the military is being held back for whatever reason. We won't get into it. But,
0: <laughs> but look, I mean, the, the reality is like. If the U.S. wants to stay in Syria, it needs to beef up those bases so that they can't be overrun. That's my number one concern. Then increase the air defenses at the bases to be able to shoot down rockets and missiles and potentially ballistic missiles. And then they have to consider targeting. And like, again, in Syria, this is much easier because Syria is a free. Anyone could do whatever the hell they want in Syria. Syria is a free fire zone. The Assad regime doesn't control the government and controls portions of Syria. So there's no one there to stop us from doing what we need to do to protect our forces. It's just a matter of will. It, do we want to do this? And the administration, based on what we're seeing, we're not hearing conversations about beefing up U.S. forces in Syria. The conversation is, is, is do we stay? Do we change our posture in the region? And that's going to, you know, that's that's where we are. That's a, we're exactly where Iran wants us to be. That's where exactly where the Islamic State wants us to be as well. The Islamic State will be a major winner if the U S is able to leave and the U S targeting of Islamic state assets in, in Syria is um, removed. So, well, let's, let's move on to the Houthis, Joe. We have, you know, it's funny um, when, when putting the shows together, um, it's difficult to, uh, um, you know, organize everything until, until it's game time because something is always happening. Well, 30, 39 minutes into this show, the Houthis launched yet another attack on a—they um, uh, fired three anti-ship ballistic missiles um, towards a U.S.-flagged, operated, and owned um, container ship. Uh, the And um, the U.S. shot down two of those missiles, uh U.S. destroyer, one of the missiles, uh, impacted in the sea. So, you know, I guess you could call that success, but the reality is is the Houthis were able to fire off three anti-ship ballistic missiles. Yesterday, the U.S. launched a strike to take out a couple of missiles on a launch pad. That succeeded. The U.S. did that unilaterally the day prior. Um, The U.S. and this, what I will describe as a paltry coalition of six countries, um, launched a series of strikes against Houthis. Um, but the week prior to that, the U.S. was launching unilateral strikes. So here, the whole my whole point of mentioning this is the U.S. can't, despite the fact that the Houthis have disrupted not just U.S. shipping, not just Israeli shipping or British shipping or French shipping, but global shipping, where a lot of of container ships and oil tankers are diverting around the Horn of Africa, making the trip more expensive longer times for deliveries um insurance costs are skyrocketing and the u.s can't muster or the international community i can't blame this all in the united states but can't muster a coalition of but six countries that are willing to target the houthis only two of them the actual that would be the us and the united kingdom to actually provide military muscle to do so the rest in sort of a support role only six countries would name to it. Even Operation Prosperity Guardian, which is a purely defensive mis- um, mission, this is what m- the shootdown of the um, two missiles today that were targeting the uh, the U.S. container ship that was very likely done under Prosperity Guardian. It's a purely defensive mission, just designed to escort the ships through the Red Sea, and the U.S. could only get eleven countries to to sign on to that. I think this really boats well um, ill for. What this administration claimed to be when it came into um, when it when it came in to govern in 2021, it told us the adults were back in the room and we're going to restore relationships. And yet, what we, the United States, is unable to assemble a coalition because, um, um, in order to oppose what are essentially pirates at this point, and and has elevated a second-rate militia that would be the Houthis into a regional power that is able to impact global trade. This is just absolutely stunning i think this is what declining empires look like and i think that the the um u.s ability the u.s government's ability to assemble coalitions um really has to be looked on with a with a gimlet eye on this because this should be a a slam dunk and the houthi problem should have been put down about a month ago i would have guessed about a month or so of military campaigning of heavy hitting not just from the u.s would have really reduced houthi capabilities and yet here we are going to tit for tat with the houthis uh, joe i realize i ran it there a little bit but what are your thoughts on the u.s um operations against the houthis and how does this fit into uh iran's wider strategy
1: no again you, you read my mind with most of uh, what you said uh just a quick correction earlier about the american plan to withdraw from syria I think I, I I cited Politico, but it was actually foreign policy. Oh yes, foreign uh, policy. Sorry about yeah, that. Foreign policy. No, no, no. It was uh yeah, it was foreign policy. Regardless, um, yeah, it's um, you know, you said it. The Houthis are second-rate militia with ballistic missiles and uh, drones uh, and an assortment of weapons provided to provided by Iran, right? So, and they're showing that this second-rate militia can I, effectively um, almost shut down uh, the Red Sea, right, to, to to transit. So if the Houthis can do something, and I'm just, I just, as an analyst, I think, well, I like to, you know, try to think outside the box and in these situations. Well, if the Houthis can do something like this, you know, I wonder if Hezbollah can do something similar in the Mediterranean, right? Um, maybe not as effective because it's different, uh, you know, the geography is different, of course, but you know the if because hezbollah they received a lot of their weapons from iran so um and they have different capabilities but still so i i think about that and uh it's a it's a huge problem where these groups these terrorist organizations have the capabilities of of uh of these uh, of, of armies right like of they shouldn't this is crazy but they're they're able to
0: it's so, almost like we shouldn't call them militias anymore. I mean, it's shorthand; it's sort of established, but they're more than that.
1: They're more than that. Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, look. You know, they. If you look at, if you look at a Houthi, I'll give the Houthis as an example, but you see this across the, the the axis of resist, the members of the axis of resistance. But um, if you look at their statements and when their military spokesman comes out, um, it's not some guy dressed in like. You know, he's not, he doesn't look like a, like a terrorist. Like you, you would think, you know, he's not, He doesn't have his face covered. This guy's wearing a military uniform. Okay. Standing at a podium. In, in a podium. And it's all, you know, it looks professional again, going back to, I'm not trying to praise them. I'm just telling what's happening. The facts. So you know this is what i think that's another thing they're trying to achieve right that hey we're not a militia we're an actual uh we're an actual military we're part of a government at least that's what
0: they're you know trying to convey right uh
1: so it's true
0: um you know you joe you look at hezbollah and you look at the houthis i mean hezbollah essentially controls the government of lebanon by and large and the houthis control the capital i mean so what are they exactly um you know they do actually have they have the the weaponry both both militias do both groups do yeah we're we're they're transitioning beyond just these iranian plot proxy militias and into something a little bit more and we're watching them you know again hezbollah itself it's not just launching a small-scale guerrilla attack now it has an army and we have to recognize these things and Put them into context and then treat them in a certain way. We can't I think the old way of thinking about these groups is just merely proxy militias who are operating covertly. We have to put that aside and and start dealing with them in a different way.
1: Right. Uh, essentially bottom line is you don't want to underestimate them. If you underestimate absolutely. the enemy, that's where you know you're gonna lose. So yeah, absolutely. Um and I'm seeing I'm realizing now, even though I follow this, I'm realizing now why the Saudi coalition uh, the Saudi-led coalition had so much troubles with the Houthis,
0: yeah, the Yemen Be- because they were more. Now, this does open them up to vulnerabilities, right? The, in the case of Lebanon and Hezbollah, Hezbollah does have a lot to lose if the Israelis do decide to go full on war against them. They can lose their influence within the government. They can lose their military. They can lose those rockets. So, it you know, I think if we just we have to, and this is what I don't understand about our reaction or lack thereof or our insufficient reaction to the Houthis. The Houthis do have a lot to lose. They do have a military. They can. They do have enemies within Yemen. You know, They're still fighting a civil war. If the US hit them hard, it could put a lot of pressure on them. Now, I don't think this should be a US-led operation. This should be an international operation, but the reality is, is nobody wants in on it. And some of that is because the Houthis have linked this to Israel and a lot of countries don't want to get in the middle of that for various reasons. Some internal domestic, some just dislike of Israel. Some, you know, there's a lot of calculations going on. However, yeah, I think the, you know, I do think this is another victory when we look at this lack of coalition, Joe, I think that's an Iranian, um, you know, a success right there. They've they've exposed the U S ability or lack thereof, to create a, a, a coalition to do something that should be just so easy to do but nobody really wants to join in on yeah nobody wants it's just right
1: so and yeah it's the iranians are exposing this so and it's gonna um and i think if this continues and uh the houthis aren't if the u.s doesn't really hit the houthis hard they're only going to get stronger and Iran's is going to give them more because hey it worked before the Houthis have shown that they can uh, essentially place, uh, you know, uh, shut down the Red Sea. Uh, so they they prove themselves essentially the Houthis. So Iran's definitely gonna, you know, give them more. So uh, give them more weapons. So that's that's another problem. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's uh, not <laughs> it's not good right now in that area. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, the the Houthi success doesn't happen in a vacuum. It can embolden Iranian actions, like you had mentioned. Does Hezbollah? See, see value in launching attacks on shipping in the Mediterranean. I think that is unlikely because, but it's possible, right? When you allow, when you allow this type of activity, I mean, the, instead of just missile and rocket attacks and drone attacks on us bases, do the militias in Iraq and Syria start organizing fighting formations to try to overrun these bases? This is my biggest fear in all of this is that we have a base overrun like we had it happen in afghanistan and has happened in iraq in the past as well um by the by al-qaeda and by the taliban in afghanistan Um, so failure to act meaningfully only emboldens um iran and its proxies to become more bold i i i this is the mistake that this administration thinks that it can weather this i think that it's just by kicking the can. I think what we're doing now is absolute is actually worse than either doing nothing or going all in. This is the one that that just slowly erodes. Um it we, we're we're no longer feared or respected in in this instance, right? We're just showing the world and particularly showing our enemies and adversaries just how weak and indecisive we really are.
1: Yep. Exactly. Couldn't agree with you more.
0: Yeah, Joe. All right, Joe. Um, anything else to add before we uh, we shut it down for today? Uh, no, that's. I think we've covered
1: it for now. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot more to talk about uh, next week.
0: You know, it's it's funny when we're putting together. We're talking Monday and we're talking Tuesday. I'm like, yeah, we got two or three things. We thought we get on. We're like, we got five things and we could talk about ten. It's there's there when the action is this hot in these wars. You know, we got to take in any one of these issues and talked about it for an hour and we just broke down five quickly within in less than an hour. That's the reality of this. We're going to have a ton to talk to talk about next week when we get we jump back on. Um, Joe, thanks again. Uh, Always a pleasure to chat with you. Hey, thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks again. We'll see you all again soon.